Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Well, hey everyone, and welcome to part 14 of Flourishing in Isolation. Uh, We continue our exploration of the prison letters, those four books written by Paul in the Bible under house arrest. And if you've not watched these before, caught up on these before, please do go back to iTunes, the podcast, or on YouTube to catch up. You're really welcome to do that. And we're going to continue asking this question, what can we learn from these ancient texts to help us really flourish as we find ourselves in isolation? Last time we learned how to flourish through the third chapter of Philippians, that faith in Jesus is the ultimate goal, not following rules or just simply doing good works, but having faith in Jesus Christ. We talked about how it's important that we speak well of others at all times. We talked that relationships are always more important than rules, that people really matter. And that thirdly, we learnt we need to be people of faith, of word, works and wonders, that we're not just people of actions, but we're also people of faith as well. That's where we finished off last time we were together. So this time you're ready, you've got your Bibles out. We have got a lot to fit in today. We've got a chunky old uh, chapter of Philippians to get going. So if you grab your Bible, get yourself comfortable, and we're going to start in Philippians 3 and verse 12. It says these words. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I need to point out this point. This is Paul, the writer, writing, not me. He carries on. No, dear brothers, I have not achieved this. Um, I, But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. There's a lot in that verse, but I want to take a few moments to discuss some of those points. I'm using the New Living Translation. The information will have appeared on the screen as I was reading that, but you might have a different version. But whichever version you're reading, the writer there, Paul, is referring to his desire to know God and to be with God. That his desire was not to achieve great uh, successes, but to know God, to be with God. The Christian life is not about attaining absolute perfection. That's not the purpose of life. It is one of pressing on, of daily picking up our cross, of gritting our teeth and saying, today I'm choosing to follow Jesus and become more like him. Maybe yesterday didn't work as well as it could have done. Maybe you were disappointed from the decisions you made in previous moments, but today is a new day and we're choosing today to know God and to eventually be with God. We press on towards the goal with the right attitude. It's more important than what we achieve is the way that we do things. I know that when I was younger, I was desperate for everything to happen yesterday. I was always frustrated because things never happened quickly enough for me. 
I would make a decision of what I wanted to do or what I thought should happen and I wanted it to happen immediately. But maybe now I'm a bit older, possibly wiser. I still want to achieve things. I still want things I would love to see take place in my lifetime. But now the how those things happen is as important as getting those things to happen. The way that we treat people on the way to doing what we're doing is more important than our actual success or deemed success. And I've tried to remove and delete and reduce down the frustration in my life. You know, people of vision can live a frustrated life. And it's important sometimes to understand that where there is momentum and there is movement and there is um, growth and there is learning and we are heading in the right direction, then that's good enough. Speed isn't always your best friend, sometimes just heading in the right direction. The purpose of our lives is not about attainment. It is about attitude, the way that we do it. Paul says here, forget what's behind. Forget the the stuff that's gone on your past. We've all got a bunch of stories we would rather forget. And he's saying, forget those things that have gone before you. Forget those things. Forget them because God already has. And uh, famously, that quote is, you know, don't look in, don't spend life looking in the rear view mirror because you are not going that way. And the same way you drive a car, you look through the windscreen of where you are going. Paul is saying here, don't look back. Look forward. Satan, the devil, wants us to look back at our past mistakes. He wants to create guilt. He wants us to be disappointed with the things we didn't do right or the things we did do and we wish we hadn't have done. And what he's saying is forget what's at the past, but instead look to God. God wants us to look forward, to press on, to focus on him and to press on for these heavenly prizes that are ahead of each one of us. For that is truer, true Christian maturity. And then we jump into verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they really are enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. We are citizens of heaven. We are simply temporary residents here on earth. We are aliens in a foreign land. We're on a mission. We have a purpose. We mustn't get too comfortable. Our aim in life is not to achieve comfort or success, wealth and assets, but to live our lives as an example, how to live it differently, to enjoy what God has given to each one of us, but not simply wanting more and more stuff, which we decide to live differently the day we follow Jesus. We choose to pick up a cross and follow him. In the song, Kingdom of Comfort that was written by Delirious over 10 years ago. They wrote this line, Save me, save me from a kingdom of comfort where I am king to this kingdom of heaven where you are king. 
Save me, save me from the kingdom of comfort where I am king to this kingdom of heaven where you are king. I want to ask you the question today, who are you trying to make king in your life? Is it yourself and your needs or God and his needs? We need to keep reminding ourselves that we are not here to get comfortable but to point people to a better place, to a better way of living with an eternity mindset with God, not as a temporary one here on earth without him. The mission is big and it isn't a time for us to rest on our laurels. That's what Paul's saying there. He says it's not time to be comfortable. It's time to go on, to press on towards the goal, to press on towards Jesus Christ himself. And then we come to the last chapter in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. And this is probably one of the most famous parts of the Bible. I can't wait to get to about verses 4 and 8 with some significant verses there. Philippians 4 says these words. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy in the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Yoda or Yodia and Sintich. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Now we've mentioned back in Philippians 1 and 2, Paul speaks highly of his co-workers, and he speaks well of those he's worked with. I'm sure many of us would love to be mentioned in the Bible, this canon of books that's been around for centuries. That Imagine getting your name put in the Bible. But even worse, imagine getting your name put in the Bible because you've got a bit of an argument going on with a friend of yours. That Paul is in prison and he's having to write a letter to the church in Philippi and say, can you tell them to stop arguing? That's not the reason that any of us want to be remembered throughout history as two people who couldn't get on together. But he was recognised, these are good people who've got themselves caught up in a disagreement. Can you help them to agree with one another? It's important that we care for our fellow believers, even if we disagree or we're at odds with each other, to find ways to build one another up as we endeavour to be co-workers with God. We don't want to be known for our disagreements, but about what we do agree upon as followers of Christ, that we endeavour to go into the world, to preach the good news, to make disciples and baptise people in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. That is the Great Commission. But we often get sidetracked by side issues. We get fallings out with different people who actually should be on the same side. We end up friendly fire as we take pot shots at each other. We need to find the good in one another and choose to love each other in spite of our differences. The mission of God has been our mandate as as God's people for thousands of years. And so often we get sidetracked because of other people's concerns, comments, how they read scripture, how they worship, the styles they have, what they believe about different positions of leadership and responsibilities. And those things are valuable and valid. And we should have those discussions. And you see them through scripture when the early church starts to shape up and decide how they're going to operate But we must find ways to keep the bigger picture the bigger picture. That we are here to serve God and to love others. The other stuff will work out as we go along. Let's not fall out and ending up with our name in the book for all the wrong reasons. 
We all good so far? Amazing. So here we go. This is the kind of the key sort of section of the whole book of Philippians. This whole first past three chapters, like a warming up that's going on here for chapter four, verses four to nine. Here we go. Verse four says these words, always be full of joy in the Lord. Now I say it again, he says, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. What I line up a verse is six short verses that is probably one of the most quoted part of this book of Philippians it's a really significant chunk I know personally I've used verse 8 regularly with my children when they talk about each other they're unkind to each other or they're having problems sleeping and I'll talk about what you're thinking about think about such things we'll be saying is that true what you said about your brother or your sister is that kind is it loving is it is it, you know is it admirable are those things true is it worthy of praise is it excellent and we make those points to our children maybe you've done something similar there is so much practical and concise advice in those six verses paul is almost summing up some of his thoughts here he says in verse four be full of joy choose joy choose to rejoice choose to be somebody who celebrates people and to live a life of joy be somebody who walks into the room and changes the atmosphere for all the right reasons be a joyful person to be considerate of others verse 5 be considerate of others think of others before you think of yourselves be an other person thinker be a joyful person be a considerate person then in verse 6 such an easy phrase but so hard to follow he says don't worry don't worry about anything anything not something just don't worry about anything but in everything pray pray for everything if you're worried pray Paul says don't worry if you are going to worry pray about it and pray with thanksgiving be thankful to God thank him for what he's done what he's going to do what he has done what he is will going to do be somebody who prays don't worry pray verse 7 then you'll experience peace, a peace that will guard your heart. It will protect you. This peace that passes all understanding, it makes no sense. Logically, it doesn't work, but God will give you peace as you pray about everything, as you choose not to worry, you choose to have joy, you choose to be considerate about other people, then you can experience this peace. It's almost like a promise after you behave in those ways. And then in verse 8, to fix your mind, to absolutely focus, to give your full attention to things that are true, honourable, right, lovely, admirable 
excellent and worthy of praise. Oh, if only our minds were always fixed on those things. And then lastly, in that section on verse 9, he says this quite simply. He says, put it into practice. Put it into practice. Do what you've seen me doing. He says this. He says, um, keep in, put into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Everything you've received. Everything you've received, everything you've heard, and everything you see me do. I wonder how many of us are examples like that. And Paul is saying, keep putting into practice. Keep practicing joy. Keep practicing considering others before yourself. Keep practicing not worrying. Keep practicing praying and thanksgiving. Keep practicing the peace, the past understanding. Keep practicing focusing your mind on what is healthy and good for you. Practice in all that you saw Paul doing. What an easy list to achieve. As we said last time we were together, we talked about the fact that these lists and these concepts that Paul puts forward are easy to read. They're much harder to put into application. Our thoughts are powerful. How we think can really change what we do. Mind really does affect matter. That what we think changes what we do. What we give our attention to controls our actions. I have met people living in tragic circumstances, in terrible poverty, and yet they live with incredible hope and they live with joy and expectation of what's to come. And on the flip side, I have met rich and famous people who've been successful, apparently, and yet they feel isolated, alone. They are depressed and they are desperate because they have decided to fix their thoughts on the wrong things. Our thoughts are more powerful than our circumstances. I'll say that again. Our thoughts are more powerful than our circumstances. We need to be careful what we fix our mind to. And to not compare ourselves with other people. To think, when my circumstances change, then I will be joyful. We've all made that mistake before. When I get to this point in life, when I achieve this success, when I get that position in my business, when I um, marry this person or have this number of children or get this set of house or live in this part of the town that I live in, then I will have joy. When joy is already set alongside circumstances, you will never have complete joy. Choose joy regardless of your circumstances. Choose joy in spite of your circumstances. Happiness is affected by what is happening around you. Joy is a choice that you make regardless of what you're faced with. Fix your thoughts, the writer is saying there. Fix them. Choose your thoughts on what is honourable, true, right, lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. I want to challenge you today to think about what you are thinking about. When we're finished today, I want you to just take some time to pause and just to ask the question, what am I giving my attention to? What am I thinking about? To think about what you're thinking about. That when you change the things you allow your mind to dwell upon, you're on your way to greater freedom, to greater flourishing when you've set your mind free because it's fixed on things of God. There's a lot there. We can spend more time, but we're going to try and do our best to finish off chapter four today. So we're going to jump straight into verse 10 where Paul starts to give thanks and he says these words how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again 
I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live in almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. That's what Paul is saying there. He is saying, I am a grateful person. He is living life. He's known the ups and the downs. He's known living with and living without. But he's choosing to be grateful. Living a grateful and a content life is a powerful way of living. And it's a choice each one of us gets to make. If you truly want to do everything through Christ who gives me strength, then I would suggest you start with gratitude and contentment. Being grateful is a life that's always about others. Grateful people think of others first. We've just talked about some of that. Ungrateful people do not value what other people bring to their life. They assume that everyone's there to serve their needs, rather than being grateful for every uh, kind act that someone does to help you out. There is no such thing as a self-made man or self-made woman or a self-made billionaire. Those kind of ideas are craziness. All the achievements that have taken place in your life are very often because of other people's support of what you're doing. As a business person, you may have had the idea to set up a business, but without your staff team, without the structures around that, the logistics, without the people who buy your products or the things you are selling, then your business doesn't take off. A self-made person doesn't exist. We need one another. And it starts by being grateful. Grateful is a recognition that other people exist and that they have value. Living a grateful life turns what we've already got into contentment. Being thankful says, I really appreciate what you've done. I was happy with what I had, but now what you've added to me, I am so grateful for the contribution you've made to my life. Live as grateful people. I spend a lot of my time as a church leader trying to go around to as many people as I can and connect with people in our church family and say thank you for the part you play. The church only works because volunteers serve in so many different roles and I want to say thank you and thank you and thank you to be grateful. To not assume that people do things just because they've got nothing better to do but to be grateful for all the different contributions they play into the life of our church. 1 Thessalonians 5 says give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, to be thankful in all circumstances. Or Psalm 118 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And that's a psalm we should be able to say every single today. Today is the day the Lord has made. We're going to be thankful. We're going to rejoice. We're going to choose joy. Being content means no one can persuade you otherwise. Being content is like a, is like a superpower. It's, it's a marketing nightmare for people who want to persuade you to buy their products. Because marketing is all about telling you how bad your life is and how much better it will be if you had this particular product. And if you're content as a person, then that's not easy to overcome somebody who's trying to persuade you that you need something. 
the, the best people for, for people who do marketing are people who are anxious or nervous, who are worried about the future. And along comes the marketing advert says, what you need right now is a hanging egg chair. That's the latest craze. They've just sold out in Aldi. 75,000 people queued up to get this hanging egg chair for their garden because that's what you need when you are in isolation on lockdown. You need yourself a new garden chair. In this last few weeks and months, we've seen the sales of bikes rocket as people think, oh, I'll get out on the road and I'll start a bit exercising. And we've also sadly seen the sales fall on the sales of breath mints and chewing gum because we don't really care what people, what our breath smells like. We don't see people very often, I guess. And sales are going up and down in times of frustration and limitation because people involved with marketing products will use our concerns and our worries and our discontent to sell us something that they think we're going to want to need. This is how almost the Western market works. We mustn't get sidetracked by this, but this economy of stuff that's been created out of persuading you to buy something. Because if we don't buy stuff, the whole thing stops working. Our economy fails if people stop buying stuff. If we were all content, things would actually break and stop working. It's a famous story that after 9-11 took place, President Bush sat in the White House and talked to the nation and said to them, get shopping again, go shopping, because he knew that if they stopped going to the shops, they stopped doing normal everyday activities, the economy would stop working. It's important that we are people that are content, that we're not always after something else to add another thing to our collection. Contentment with what you have is a powerful way to live. It enables you not to be persuaded by the noise of the world around you. I challenge you to be content. And then Paul finishes with verse 13 saying this, I can do everything, everything through Christ who strengthens me. This is probably one of the mis most misunderstood verses in scripture. It's all over the place. You can see it on t-shirts and on key rings and on Christian uh, Bible shops and on, on websites. This idea that I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me is, is an unhelpful phrase. You know, I, I believe that God can do anything. Absolutely, God is above everything. But the idea of this I can do anything is taken out of context. What Paul is saying here in that list of things I read out, about being content and being grateful. I can do those things of living with plenty and living without and living with this and living without. I can do those things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying that list I've just read out to you, I can do all these things. It's probably a better way of translating that verse. I can do all these things according to God's power. And he's pointing this, I can be content, he's saying, in all situations. I am choosing gratitude. I am choosing contentment regardless of my circumstances. We can choose to live differently. Heading towards the end here, we get to verse 15. It says these words. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you good news and then travelled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me from Epaphrodites. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. 
And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God, our Father forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is one of the loveliest parts of this letter to the church in Philippi. Paul, I always wonder, is Paul simply um, flattering them, saying, you are the best givers, Philippians. You are, the, you are like, when I look at my spreadsheet of the best givers, you are top of the chart. Well done, he's saying. Is he flattering them because he wants more money from them? Is he uh, using some kind of reverse psychology? Oh, I don't need any more money and stop your giving. Please don't feel like you have to give. Oh, go on then. You can give some more. Or is he just, you know, is he saying I've got plenty and I don't need it? Is he being truthful? But what we do know from Paul's lifestyle and other books and letters he'd, he'd written, that he would regularly provide for himself. We see this in 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 12 and in 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul talks about his tent making. He makes tents. Acts chapter 20 talks about this and he talks about making tents and making his own finances. For much of his ministry, he was able to provide for himself. But now he is under house arrest. He is in Rome and he is reliant upon friends bringing him probably fresh food for him to survive upon. And he's very grateful that the church in Philippi have given him many gifts over and over again. And in Paul's other letters, he does talk about money regularly. He's not too embarrassed to ask for money. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he feels that people are not pulling their weight. He'll be very clear and say to them, look, you know, can you start giving like the, the people from Macedonia, which is where Philippi was? Could you give more? And, but Paul doesn't seem to show interest in wealth or finances for his own personal benefit. He would declare that he was rich because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. But Paul is clear that our attitude to giving is essential. That as we give and live generously like the church in Philippi, God will provide all of our needs according to his riches. Not the riches of other people, but God's riches. God has got all that we need to provide for all that we need to do. And as long as we understand that what we think our needs may be different to what God thinks our needs are instead. We need to be generous people that Paul is saying here. Be generous. Be generous. I don't know about you, but have you ever um, given a generous gift to somebody and then felt a little bit annoyed that they didn't thank you? A little bit annoyed that they um, didn't tell anyone else that they'd got this lovely gift from you? A little bit frustrated there was not some sort of public thank you or a return favour to repay the gift. Because, you know, if, if you feel that way, and truthfully I sometimes do, then maybe that gift isn't a true gift after all. A gift is given with no strings attached. Generosity is given with an understanding that now it's been given to someone else. And what they do with that gift is up to that person. Whether they thank you for the gift is up to that person. You, your responsibility is to give and to give generously. Our responsibility as followers of Christ to be generous people, to live a generous life, to not be looking for awards or anything in return, to be giving without seeking acknowledgement or any kind of reward, to be generous people. And then to coming into land, Paul's final greetings here at the end of Philippians, he says these words, give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings and all the rest of God's people send you their greetings, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, he says. 
And I just want to finish up the end of Philippians here by saying to all of those listening today, I want to say greetings to you and to your family. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you right now. There's so much to pick out from this and I I want us to wrap these things up uh, here. But we can learn so much from Philippians 3 and 4 that will help us flourish, I believe. That our attitude is so much more important than our achievements. Here are three thoughts for us to consider today as we bring this to an end. Number one, fix your mind on what is ahead, on what is excellent, on what is praiseworthy. Fix your mind on the future that God's got for you. Fix your mind on things that is good for your mind to consider. Secondly, to be content. To be content in all things, in all circumstances. To be content that if you want to do things through Christ who strengthens me, to start by being content with what you have been given. And thirdly, to be generous. To be generous with people, generous to other people, generous with your time, generous with your energy, generous with your efforts, and yes, generous with your money as well. Regardless of the reward, regardless of the response, that we're generous anyway. Let me just pray for us and thank God for this opportunity to learn together. Father God, I pray for every single person listening and watching today. May they know that you love them, that you are saying to them right now, forget your past and focus on what is ahead. Thank you. We have all got great futures in you, Father God, that we can look to you. We can press on for all that is ahead of each one of us. And Father God, I want to pray a blessing upon every household that's represented amongst those listening and watching right now, that they would know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and your spirit in their home. I pray right now. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.